to the next podcast. Who's next? Who's next? That was beautiful. Anyways, we can get started. Uh, this is Who's Next Podcast. Uh, we are back with uh, Mr. Kevin. Yo, what's up, y'all? Yep, and uh, myself, Seth. And uh, we've been playing around with some games. We actually finally finished Vi- um, Village of Shadows mode with Resident Evil 8. Well, so- we've both been kind of finished already for like at least a week or so. It's just when we're recording this. Yeah, the last episode we hadn't finished yet. True. Yeah, no, we were at, we were both at Miranda actually. So, um, yeah, we're gonna finish up a bit with that. I'd say. Yeah. Um, so to start, I know I listened back to us and we really, I think we did cover a good bit of it, but I think what we can talk about is the speculation of the future of the series now that we've seen the ending cutscene yes. and stuff like that, and then um, <clears throat> you know, move on from there. Uh, so the Miranda fight, so. I'd say for me now, just to listeners, if you're new, you haven't listened, this was not a um, Village of Shadows run after we beat the game, Infinite Ammo, nothing like that. This was straight, our, at least for me and you, like supposed to be our first run, um, nothing at it, and we went through it from beginning to end. Yeah, because yeah, when you buy the, you either when you buy the deluxe edition or when you buy the trauma pack DLC, Village of Shadows is unlocked from for you from the beginning instead of having to beat the game to unlock it. So yeah. we did our first playthrough on Village of Shadows, which yeah. is the hardest difficulty. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty pretty fucking difficult game. Yeah, it is because it's balanced for new game plus when you have yes. the stronger weapons out of the extra content shop and you can unlock like infinite ammo cheats and shit. Oh, dude, I'm already at the end of the game on my second run. Like, I breezed through it on my second playthrough. And, like, I have infinite ammo on my grenade launcher. So I've been using that to help, like, just kill every... i just been killing everything on this yeah. run. I'm still doing it on Village of Shadows mode, but it's, like, fucking easy as shit now. Oh, yeah, with infinite ammo it is. I, bit, I did my second run when I first started up. I didn't use, like, the extra content weapons because they are a bit stronger than, like, the, the normal weapon, the default weapons you get in the game. And I didn't use infinite ammo because I just wanted to see... Um, for, for, well, for one, I wanted to finish upgrading the weapons I got out of the, the main story yeah. and everything, right? So that was one reason. I, and I wanted to see, like, how much easier it was. I felt like the game felt pretty balanced. I wouldn't say I breezed through it because I still felt like I had to manage ammo a little bit just because thanks to... But I could actually kill things now. And when you can kill things, you actually get a lot more material to make things, which is what I thought was going to happen. I breezed through it because I used all the extra content stuff. I I was just trying to have fun with it. So, like, I, I have that Magnum that takes rifle ammo that shit is strong as fuck that's like my favorite gun i think (laughs) that shit is strong as fuck i got like 40 magnum rounds i mean rifle rounds for that shit (laughs) did you unlock the lightsaber no i i didn't really play around with mercenary mode yet i did the Uh, first level of mercenary mode but i think you got to get a double s rank in all the mercenary mode levels to get the lightsaber yes so i i didn't unlock that yet so you unlocked it yes i i've unlocked it uh I played around in mercenary mode a little bit. 
All right, now I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here. I did cheat a little bit because I didn't feel like freaking grinding through mercenary mode to be able to unlock uh, okay. everything. So mm-hmm. I just kind of used uh, cheat engine to kind of give myself everything after I uh, I've unlocked the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I unlocked everything that way through that. Um, okay. And then I went through and I started playing with around with some of the stuff just to upgrade. The stake gun is like really fucking powerful. I think when you fully upgrade it, it does 4,500 damage. Oh, it's shit. like the strongest. Yeah, it's like the strongest gun in the game. I heard somebody uh, talking about a stake gun in one of the, the groups I'm in with Resident Evil and I was like, stake gun? I, I didn't know what that was. It's one of the extra content weapons you can unlock. Oh, you okay. unlock it after beating Village of Shadows. The uh, for, uh, Normally, yeah, I think you unlock it when you beat Village of Shadows like the first time. Uh, but because we did it on the first run, it like it unlocked for us. Yeah. So I got that. Um, the lightsaber, I played around a little bit with the lightsaber. The lightsaber felt like it was, it's not a one-hit kill. I was expecting it to be like a one-hit kill thing. Mm. But it's, it's still really strong, mm. right? And it's really fun to play with. It doesn't like the fun. The sad thing is that it doesn't like cut body parts off or some shit like that, just because that's not like a part of the game, right? Yeah. Like it does, like it does freaking um, kill things very fast. You can like get headshots with it, and like their heads will explode and shit. But that's like about it. But it's just really the like, just a strong knife. Yeah. And because the lightsaber that they have is double bladed, you can actually um, hold left trigger to. You know, when you hold left trigger with the knife, it'll go into like the aiming mode and you'll be able to stab with it. Well, when you do that with the lightsaber, it'll activate the other blade in the lightsaber and you kind of spin it and you kind of get double hits with it. And that makes it, it makes it a lot, a lot stronger as well. So it's fun to play around with. It's just kind of gimmicky, mm. a gimmicky thing to play with. It's not like a one hit kill weapon or anything like that. Uh, mercenaries mode is interesting. I think they could have had something really special for the animated mercenaries mode, kind of an online thing more similar to like kind of cod zombies i guess a little bit because it's basically just a horde mode shooter you're waiting for the uh you gotta complete challenges in hold in order to spawn the exit point once the exit point spawns you got to make your way to the exit point right and that's basically it what Mm. it does and you get limited ammo you get limited weapons each round starts in duke's chamber in dimitrescu's castle Mm mm-hmm uh, is the way it starts and you can you get like i think it's uh a little bit of money i think it's like fifteen thousand or something like that you can buy whatever you want to buy to stock up for the first round and then every round after that you get money based on the score that you have and everything and about how many enemies you killed and like how much time was left on the timer and like all these different conditions right and then you can stock up and like you can upgrade weapons you can stock up on the ammo or do whatever you need to do to repair for the next round and it's basically how mercenaries mode goes and it's pretty fun I think the thing that's missing from it is, like I said, is multiplayer interaction because I feel like going through that with a friend and just being able to to do that, it would make it a lot more interesting and fun. Doing it by yourself, it gets kind of repetitive after a while, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be a little bit boring. It's still fun to do, especially if you're like super into Resident Evil. I definitely mm-hmm. recommend you check it out and try it for yourself. I, I did the big- first level of it. I did uh, the first like stage or set of uh, stages. So I did that where it ended on fight one of the big werewolves, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So I did I did complete that one. I think I got like a B on my first like playthrough of it. On, yeah, on that's basically what I got like around my first playthrough. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty much what you get. Mm-hmm. But 
I think, uh, uh, like I said, it'd be a lot more fun with multiplayer. Like, if we could play this together, I think that would be, like, an awesome thing. It'd make it a lot more fun. Yeah, I'm curious to see what their... Um, is this supposed to be a big multiplayer thing, right? The What is it? Resistance or something like that? That uh, yeah, R-E-verse. Yeah. Reverse, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's supposed yeah. to be R-E-verse or whatever. Um, yeah, that's supposed to be dropping soon, I guess. It was supposed to come out with RE8, but then they held it back. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't yeah, know I'm what waiting to see for what that's going to be when it's going to come out. I haven't heard too much about it. I haven't really looked into it too much either. Me neither. Oof, excuse me. So, what do you think about... Um, so the Miranda fight, I do want to talk about that a bit. I thought I almost is that where up. we left off in the other podcast? I honestly yes, don't remember. I we thought we were both at Urias when we first left off. No. Did we talk about Heisenberg? No, yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, well, you know, okay. I don't know if we did talk about him, but we were at Miranda when we last. Recorded. Oh, okay, okay. But we didn't. Okay, beat so we her just yet. had to talk about her. Then. Okay. I will say, I'll mention one thing about Heisenberg fight. This kind of interesting. Two things actually about Village of Shadow mode that I've noticed, and I kind of figured this was going to be the case, and I've noticed it in some of the Resident Evil groups I'm in, is that you can have infinite ammo and all the good shit, and it's nice, and you can play through Village of Shadow mode fairly easy until you get to Chris's run. Because Chris, I don't know, I think maybe the infinite ammo stuff might still work for him, but honestly, it doesn't even matter. Ammo is not really a problem with Chris. The problem with Chris is you only have those weapons, right? So you don't have all the super, like, grenade launcher and, like, all the other weapons to get through that part. And that part's kind of rough with Chris. Yeah, yeah, because you get, like, the endless lichen hordes coming after you, and you just kind of kind of push your way forward to it. you, You were even stuck at it for a little while until you saw me play when um you've got to use the laser thing to uh aim at that that fucking building to, to shoot yes, it down because i did not realize there was another ammo cache at the other house on like your left side mm-hmm. i was going to the right and going through the gate and i was trying to use that house and then i picked up all the stuff there once i saw that you could go to the other house on the, mm-hmm. the left side mm-hmm. you get ammo and kind of stand up on the roof i was like oh yeah like i can do that too because yeah. that was kind of my problem i was running out of stuff and it was getting hard for me to kind of hold out to be able to do all three rounds of the the laser targeting yeah yeah so I've noticed some people are having trouble with that. The other thing people are having problems with, I've noticed, is the Heisenberg fight. Because you don't get to use your infinite ammo. You don't get to use your, which I mean you have infinite ammo in the fight basically, but you don't get to use all your high-grade weapons that can make these mm-hmm. battles short. You've got to go like tank mode and, and you've got to shoot all his weak points and like, stay on top of them. Yeah. I've seen people that I was just kind of surprised about it. Like, oh, this fucking Heisenberg fight. God damn it. Like, (laughs) a lot of people are struggling with that Heisenberg fight. Oh, yeah. I know what they mean. That's what I told you. Like, the fight, like, I'm not going to say the fight is hard because it only took me, like, on Village of my first one, Village of Shadows, it only took me, like, maybe, I think, like, maybe three hours at most to beat Heisenberg. But I just think the fight is dumb because it's so hard to maneuver around for me in that fucking tank to be able to dodge him and shit. I ended up, what I ended up doing was is I would end up saving my tank shots for when he would try to charge me with his big, like, right arm. Because his left arm is, he is short, and he does, like, a vertical attack with it. So if you stay on his right side, he'll completely miss you with it, right? So that's what I kind of kept doing. 
and that would just shoot his weak points. But that that charge attack that he would do with his big right arm is so long, and he does this vertical attack with it that I couldn't dodge it. So when he would charge me with it, I would always shoot him with the tank gun to knock him back and to try to give me more time to shoot his weak points and kind of get away from him. But that was my main problem of the Heisenberg fight. It was just so hard for me to maneuver around in that freaking tank because it was so slow. And I felt yeah. like it was just very – it just made it feel kind of gimmicky and dumb. Yeah, I kind of agree with that. I, I don't think it's the best made fight. I mean, I that that fight is actually a little disappointing. I thought that there would be something a little more interesting to Heisenberg like there was with Dimitrescu or like there was to um, – Urias, uh, all those fights were kind of like fun and interesting. They had, you know, unique things to them. Like with the Urias fight, I had to, I used my Magnum on him because like, if you just fight him with your basic weapons, the problem is the fight can go on too long and he'll start picking up all the pillars. Well, once all those pillars are gone, it's kind of hard to dodge his attacks after that happens. But yeah, because he does like a lot of big swinging and like mm-hmm. spinning attacks, and he'll bang into those pillars and in the wall, and it makes the fight a little easier. But afterwards, yeah, it gets rough. Yeah, but if you do, you front load your damage, like especially with the Magnum in the beginning of the fight, he will skip a couple variations, and then you can finish the fight while pillars are still around you. Right. You know, so yeah, that's basically helpful. what I did. Mm-hmm. I basically got like 10 shots off with the Magnum, yeah. like right at the beginning when he's jumping down and he's doing all his roaring and stuff. I just unloaded like the Magnum bullets that I had in him. Yep. I basically did the same thing you did. Yep, yep exactly. And that was a, a pretty good strategy with that. Um, what you call it? Uh, Monroe. He was also had, you know, there's unique. There's you. He had unique attacks and moves and and and, and abilities like that that made the fight like interesting. And, and yeah, because you couldn't just shoot him, right? His body would take barely any damage, right? Yes. I think his body. I think I've seen some speedrunners because they've started. They've already been breaking this game apart. They've already started studying like how much damage and how much health the bosses and everything have with cheat engine and stuff. Just analyzing the code of the game, and I think. Monroe has 27,000 HP, right? Mm. Uh, I might have went over this in the last podcast, but yeah. his body only takes uh, half damage. It's his tongue. When he sticks, his out, he sticks out his tongue, and it's actually like his person, like his person body. It's not the giant fish body. Yeah, that he you has. talked about that putting t- down, like they put down like five or six mines around a barrel and blew it up when his tongue came out, when his head comes out, and um, it did like massive damage, and it was the way speedrunners were getting around him with that yeah which is which is which is interesting but uh to go to the point like all these different boss fights they had like you know you know it's it's interesting because um one of the problems that i've heard people complain about with uh remnant right is that all the boss fights are reduced to ads like you 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 they're a bullet sponge boss with a bunch of ads running around and like for Resident Evil 8, I feel like it because I'm comparing it because they're both first person shooters in a sense, right? Now, they're not exactly the same game. You know, there's a different types of shooters, you know, but it's it's something in that similar vein. In the boss fights, I don't feel like we're all completely reduced to ads. There were bosses that utilized ads like Urius, right? But right. it, he he had more to him than just the ads, and in fact, the ads only came at certain points. Like they weren't like constant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, and then it was he would only summon I think like maybe three or four wolves, like five, 
at a time. They, they, mm-hmm. you could, and once you kill them, they didn't come back until he called them again. And it made sense for the boss fight. Like he's the leader yeah. of the pack, basically calling like his squad up. Like that actually kind of makes sense. Where like Monroe is a straight one-on-one fight. Uh, Dimitrescu is a straight one-on-one fight. But you got to take out her three daughters first too. And and they all had little gimmicks to them as well that you had to do that were like, that were that were kind of interesting. Like, I, like I almost missed like. Um, with the first sister, the first daughter, I mean, um, I forget what her name is, uh, but she's in a room and oh, uh, he shoots out the window and it brings in the cold air. But there's sometimes like, if you didn't pay attention, like you may not know to shoot out that other window. Like I watched Jesse play and he didn't shoot out the other window. Yeah. But you could shoot that other window out to cause another break, and that gives you time to do damage, especially in Village of Shadows mode where you need every opportunity to do damage, yeah. you know? So, I mean, it's, it's very interesting uh, the way they did some of these things with these boss fights. Like they, I didn't feel like they were, like, gimmicky or anything. Even Miranda, too, had, like, all these different variations to her, different forms. And, it was, and, and the thing about it, too, is with Miranda, you can dodge all her attacks, you can you can get through without taking one hit, you know. Yeah, you pretty much had to do that for your fight with her. Yeah, because right? you couldn't get you couldn't get, you you had a little bit of trouble because you didn't get your block upgrades and stuff that you could get from the food. Whereas I ended up actually getting all of my upgrades, and I I even though I didn't really figure out how to dodge her little spider attacks, that was the one that I mainly had problems with was when she would go into her spider form and she would jump. She would usually I would usually have to block her right. Mm-hmm. Because you take like all really reduced damage when you block when you get all the mm-hmm. upgrades. Like you take barely any damage, and that's what I would do for her because I didn't really figure out how to dodge her little spider attack. So this is how you do that one. So if you're facing her, she jumps up on the platform, right, and then she comes jumps down on you. You basically you face her, like you look at her and run to the left. You run to the left, run to the side. Don't run back. Don't run forward. Run to the left. And if you're running across, she'll jump and she'll completely miss you. Oh, then, okay. then there's an attack where she puts her arms up and just starts hitting them on the ground towards you. Just run to the left again, like run around her and you'll dodge that attack. And then there's an attack where she will like jump to the left, jump to the right and then strike you. That one, you just kind of back up as she jumps to the left, jumps to the right. And if she jumps to the right, you run left. If she jumps to the left, you run right. Whatever way that she stops that before she strikes, you run the opposite direction. You can dodge every single spider attack that way. So that's how you dodge that. When she's flying in her bird form, whenever you start shooting, like whenever she gets up and you shoot those orbs... Every time you shoot the orbs, she's going to dash through the stage in the air and she'll hit you. Yeah. And it actually does a pretty decent amount of damage. At least for me, like my shield did not help that. So um, my blocking. So what you would do is right after you shoot the orbs, right when you see her kind of like she'll kind of float for a second, then she'll kind of move to kind of like almost like fly up to fly forward at you. You run across the stage like you don't run towards her you run like perpendicular from her so like if she's flying one way you're running like almost like across her so she'll just dodge right behind you as you run and so you can actually keep dodging her that way so like i got through all three forms without having to get hit like really at all now the last variation was always the problem because she would mix them up and sometimes her mix-ups were not predictable 
So I wouldn't know because sometimes she'll do her bird form and then all of a sudden she'd turn into the spider form. But she'd be flying so high it's hard to see what form she's taking. So I would sometimes get hit by the spider form and that's what kept fucking me up. Until I finally was, I finally learned a method to where I still, I think my, I think I got hit by her three times on my, um, or maybe twice on my last, uh, when I actually did beat her. I think I only got hit by her like twice because I only had two heels. So Man, that's pretty damn good. You got, you had to really, you really got that fight down to a T if you only got hit by her t- twice during that whole fight because mm-hmm. you didn't have any heels. You really had any heels. Mm-hmm. That seemed, no. it seemed like, and you didn't, you didn't. Did you have all your health upgrades? Did you? Been, uh, you no, I don't think so. I think I had one or two health upgrades. So I think okay. there was maybe one more. I think there was a there was two blocks, three heals, and a movement, right? I mean, three uh, health yes. increases and a movement. So I got two. Yeah, there's two. Yeah. yeah. I got two of the health increases. That's it. That's all I got. I didn't get the movement. I didn't get the, the blocking. I didn't get none of that. I uh, fucked it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah, I had so, a yeah. That, go of it. that fight was probably, that's why that fight was so difficult for you because you were stuck on it for a good while. For yeah, a good while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely was. I got the video of it too. I'll probably upload it later. Uh, because yeah, that fight was pretty crazy. So uh, you can nail that down though to where you don't get hit by her like at all. Like you can, you could definitely do a perfect run. I, I'm pretty sure if I kept working at it, I could have probably did it without getting hit once. But it would, it would have been, it, it'd have been a difficult feat for sure. Um, but all in all, really good game. I really enjoyed it. So the end again. This is gonna be all spoilers. Last episode we warned about spoilers. We definitely spoiling. I mean, we already talked about Heisenberg and Miranda, but I don't think we said anything too spoilerific just yet, other than the Chris run where you play as Chris. So sorry, but yeah. um, we talked about that last episode. So um, the end though. All right. So Ethan dies at the end. Yeah. Which is kind of he dies for he dies for real because he survives getting his heart pulled out by Miranda. And yeah. You find out he's still mold. He's freaking. Yes. He's a, he, yeah, that was the thing that really kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah, um, yeah, because I don't know. I don't think we covered that in the last episode. No, we Did didn't we? really talk too much on the story beats because we didn't finish. We didn't completely finish it yet. So this is yeah. the perfect time to actually get into that. So, yeah, so they kind of go back and say, oh, remember in RE7 when he got knocked out? No, he didn't get knocked out. He died. He was murdered by the Bakers. Yeah, at the beginning of the game, when, just so people know exactly what you're talking about, at the beginning of the game, you go to find uh, your girlfriend, Mia, in the house, uh, and you end up fighting her because she's possessed by the mold, and it takes over her body, and you have to fight her, and she ends up like, you think you like might have killed her or like she you knocked her out or like something because but then jack shows up the main kind of the main antagonist of the series and he blindsides you he hits you and knocks you down and then he stomps on your face yeah uh and then that point you like the and if you play seven you kind of just think damn like he just get fucked up but like you know i mean you're still playing as i'm like he's still alive like They've never done anything like that in Resident Evil, where a character's dead and you're playing as the corpse, basically. You're playing, you're almost playing as the zombie, in a sense. Right. Yeah, that was the the surprising thing. I wonder, I'm thinking they might have retroactively came up with that idea. I don't think they had that planned out. I don't really think they had that planned out. 
if they did, I think it it was it was some good planning, I think. Because for them to say that, oh, you actually died in the, the first game that Ethan was in, in 7. And that's why you took all this freaking punishment. Because he went through a lot of fucking punishment. Right? But see, I and think he went through more punishment in 8 than he did in 7. Like, he, he gets fucked up in 7, no doubt. Yeah. But, I mean, 8... He had like meat hook. He had hooks. You know, the 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 daughters dragged him and hung him up to have his blood. He got half his hand bitten off. He had his hand cut off, which he reattaches with some fucking chemical stuff. Which actually, you know what's funny? That actually happens in seven. So yeah. so in seven, well, not not no. Do you know that it it's not part of the game actually, right? It's it's a funny it's it's a funny little bit if you happen to get killed by Jack, okay? So there's a scene in the game, and I don't know if you came across it because I didn't come across it my first playthrough of seven, but I did on my my second playthrough. If Jack kills you, I don't know if it's because in a certain room or at a certain time, but in one of the times that Jack is like hunting you through the house, and if he gets you, there's one where he cuts off your foot. And then he reattaches it with the chemical healing shit and has you walk around with it and it's like laughing. He's like, he fucks with you and then he finally kills you. And then the game well, you know, yeah. restarts again. I, never, I don't think I've ever gotten caught by Jack. So I, I don't, yeah, I haven't seen any of his kill animations. Mm -hmm. So one of his kill animations is, is very similar to what happens in eight when he reattaches his hand. You know how he wow, puts the hand back okay. and puts it on? Jack does yeah. that to him in seven, but it's only a death animation. And it's like Jack, he's like fucking with him. Like it's like, it's meant to be mm -hmm. a joke. So, cause like in the actual story of seven, nothing that ludicrous happens like in eight where he literally reattaches his hand with the healing shit. Right. Yeah. Cause uh, Mia cuts off your hand with the freaking chainsaw. Right. But, you don't have it for like the rest of the first, like the prologue of the game. When you're fighting me and any shit, you're one-handed. And mm -hmm. from I remember, and then you don't get your hand back until after Jack knocked you out, and then you wake up tied to a chair at the dining at the dinner table, and your hand is stapled on. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So apparently, you've already been dead and infected with the mole when he already reattached your hand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like. You think about it, how it like works out. It's like, I don't know. It almost feels like if they didn't plan it, that's some good bit of writing that they did there because it kind of fills in a bit of the gaps about why freaking Ethan is able to take some punishment. Like he said, he, especially in eight, because he takes a lot of fucking punishment in this game. Mm. It also makes you wonder, like, can mold ejaculate? because he right. he gets he gets me pregnant so all those mole right. monsters down there can they come can well, they bust me, nuts well let me well let me give you a little bit of a uh, i forget what the meta what the term for people who could you imagine if you mold. just you I imagine mean, if you just go down into the cellar of that place and like all of a sudden you just see a bunch of mold orgies happening and they're just straight fucking down in the fucking basement of Louisiana. <laughs> like just down there in the cellars, just fucking because they're human still and they're dead humans, but they're ejaculating. And is there come white or is it black? Like the mold that they are. I don't know. Did don't. Mia take a black jizz to the face while fucking with Ethan? 
these are the questions now that I have that we know that Ethan is a mole monster. Yes, these are these are the important questions. <laughs> but I can tell you something about fungus and about mold and about mushrooms and stuff that might clear it up a little bit. Okay. Okay, apparently fungus colonies that live under the ground, right? Um, they attach themselves to trees and everything and they grow and like they help decompose stuff. This is all common knowledge, right? But apparently the mushroom tops that we normally pick, the ones that we eat that are above the ground, those aren't the mushrooms. The main body of the fungus, of the actual fungus, is under stored underground. The mushroom tops that we pick and eat, that we pick to eat, is actually their sexual organs. Their their own one and only purpose is to spread spores, and to impregnate, and to you know spread their spores and get other um, female mushrooms pregnant. So right? that's so why that they can make more mushrooms. That's why so, dicks look like mushrooms. They got the little mushroom head on it. It all makes sense now. Yep. That's yep. so that's why when you're eating mushrooms, you're actually eating freaking mushroom dick. Yes. That's, it's just a mushroom dick. dick. Yeah, fungus dick. That sounds And it's probably it's probably what Ethan's dick looked like. <sighs> I'd have to imagine, but I just want to know if he shoots black jizz or if it's still white. Do mold monsters still jizz white? These are the questions I want to know. Um yeah, that, I, <laughs> it's just funny. He's a mole monster and he gives Mia pregnant. What the fuck? And then now she's a super powered baby. And she was all into it too. Mia was just all into it. It's like, yeah, I know he's a mold monster, but I'll still let him fuck me. Yeah, yeah. So she was wanting to keep everything together. They was a family. Stop talking about Louisiana because, and I guess that goes to so why she kept wanting to not talk about it because what? she. This is the. Th- she this must is what have I was known thinking. that he was um, dead the whole time. Yeah, she was dead. That, and I was also thinking that it kind of helped Miranda replace Mia because that's how Rose gets kidnapped at the beginning of the game, right? Like, uh, Miranda takes the place of Mia, and apparently Ethan never knows, so maybe he was fucking Miranda at one point, too. Oh, my um, God. yeah. How long was Miranda pretending to be Ethan? Did well, she, be Mia, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, be Mia, yeah. Did she take Black Jizz in the face? They, she had to know right there that something's not right with this man. He's <laughs> 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 a fucking mole monster. Oh, shit. But yeah, I think that kind of helped Miranda infiltrate because anytime Ethan brought up the past and like things that, that might have clued him in, oh, wait, this might not be my wife. Yeah. Talking about, you know, she could just say, oh, shut up, Ethan. I don't want to talk about the past. Why don't you just let it go? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he couldn't really investigate it any further. So I think that really worked into her favor. Mm. Yeah. And also, apparently, she's, she goes way back with uh, Spencer yes. uh, to help him create Umbrella. You know, well, like, she didn't help. Well, she didn't really help him create it. Well, kind of, yeah, and she inspired him too. Because when he came across her research, that's what started him looking for certain types of like plants and stuff in Africa and shit like that that help him develop like the T virus and and other things. So they 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 make some comments about that stuff uh, in some of the documents you can read in the game. So like they do have a bit of setup there about. I guess how important Miranda is to the actual mythos of Resident Evil now. Yeah. So that yeah. that's just kind of interesting um, that they added that piece to it as well. And then uh, they end it with the fact that, um, so I guess Mia's still alive. 
and then the Rose is now an adult. But my question is, did she grow fast or did that much time progress at the end of the game from right from Rose being a baby to now she's like full adult talking about Chris. So if we so there's two questions at hand like if right, we get I don't think they mentioned how much time passed cuz when after the end of the game and you see Rose going to Ethan's grave. Mm-hmm. I don't think they mentioned how much time they passed. don't. don't All you know is like and she looks like she's got to be like 17. Maybe. Yeah, like yeah, some somewhere's between like late teens, maybe early twenties at the most. Yeah, I would say the youngest she could be is maybe fifteen, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe fifteen, and um, that's a long time. Chris has got to be close to his forties, so he's got to be in his fifties now. If if that much time has progressed, right? The other thing they can do is just be like she's an adult, like she just aged because of her powers and shit like that. She just aged quickly. Which they, they right, can do that's that. what that's what happened to Evelyn, right? Yeah, uh, Evelyn aged quickly. That was one of the problems they had with her design. And uh, Miranda says that Rose is just Evelyn perfected. Yeah, but that but then she, that questions like, does she still age though? If she's perfected, you would think maybe she doesn't age as quick. But I don't. Maybe she ages to like uh, like a prime point in the life cycle, I guess, and then she stays that way. I don't know. It's it's. Um, I'm curious to see where they go with it. If they do, I kind of wonder though if they do a sequel. If they maybe just ditch the rose stuff, like maybe they'll end it there. And because like, you know who we haven't seen in a while since three, I'd say, is a uh, Jill. Yeah. Lately, they've been focusing a lot on Chris. Five had Chris is there. Uh, seven, Chris shows up. Six, Chris is a big part. You know what? Resident Evil Six for everybody part of it. I don't think Jill's in six. No, Jill doesn't. Ha- I don't think Jill's, Jill has a story. It's, at least she doesn't have a main path. I don't know if she shows up. She's the last thing she did was Revelations, I believe. In the Resident Evil Revelations, which is what I've been playing, I pause. I need to get back to it. And Resident Evil Revelations, Jill is one of the main characters there, but so is Chris. Chris and Jill actually are, are playable characters throughout the game. Um, but in the main series of titles, we've seen Jill in five, but she was like kidnapped by Wesker and turned, and, and then you kind of help her out of that, and that's it, though. You don't really know anything about what Jill's doing, per se. Right. The last time we've seen her was Nemesis. Uh, well, yeah, other, other than Revelations, other than Revelations, in the main series of things, like Nemesis, really, right? You, you get your Revelation spinoff, and there's some Jill stuff there, but like um, the Code Veronica, that was Claire and Chris. Uh, four is Leon, straight up. Five is Chris. Six is like everybody but Jill. Seven, then yeah, we got... Jill is not in six. I was just looking to see if they had any mentions of Jill in six. But I could see she's not in here. The last time she showed up was in five, when you mm. rescue her from Wesker. Mm. Yeah, I would and, like to see a new, yeah. over-the-shoulder Jill Resident Evil, Jill-focused Resident Evil game. Yeah, As, that could be one, the one direction that they go. But I feel like they're gonna want to continue this storyline with Rose. That Rose, if they, if if Rose, I don't think Rose, uh, if she's not like the main character, she's gonna feel like she's gonna end up being a big part of the story, right? 
with the way they were talking about like her powers and shit and they yeah. left plenty of cliffhangers on it do you think we get a game experience where we have powers i think that would be really interesting if they went that route because yeah. they, they've they've avoided it for the longest because like you even yes. have like wesker and shit with super speed dodging bullets Technically, you could do that with one of the stars teams, or you could do that with the BSAA teams, or whatever. But uh, they have they have avoided it at all points where you're just human with guns. Right. So it Large could, points. yeah, it could be interesting to start playing with powers. But I would say this: if they started that, I, that's going to cause even a bigger divide in the Resident Evil community than these games are. Because right. these games that are would be dividing he- that the would be Evil. heavily action focused. If they wanted to do powers, like making you feel that powerful, it would hard to make the game any kind of scary. I think it would be like it would still be. You could still make it horror in the tradition of like oh the disturbing images and like gore and like body horror and shit. But it wouldn't actually be like well. You can scary also horror. set limits to the power. Um, you can you can set like certain limitations to it. You can have a. Um, uh, a cost ratio to it like you use it but you're gonna it's gonna cost you in certain areas so it would make right. the game difficult like it's not there's ways to go about it to not yeah. what if she's not like she has powers but what if they do it in a way that way she's not like incredibly like overpowered it's just things that you can use to help you do puzzles and shit kind of like a dead space type thing where I mean, you had like kinesis and you had um, stasis, right? Mm. Being able to slow your enemies and be able to pick up items and chuck them with uh, kinesis were both two very powerful abilities, I feel like. Yeah. But they they really implemented them well in that game so that you felt like you weren't completely overpowered, right? You know, like, what, I, you know still... what I think it would be? I think the next game, if I want to make a prediction, and I was right with some of my prediction calls this game, if I'm gonna make a prediction, I, uh, at least if I were to say the vision I would take to go forward with it, the next game, Rose is part of the story, Jill is the playable character, and then you get a DLC playing as Rose with like powers and shit, just like they did with the Zoe DLC in Seven, where you got to play as the uncle and he was like fist fighting everybody. It was just like kind of a different, unique experience for a DLC thing. And that's right. it. I say that's the way you do it for the next game. I think what I think the next game. This is gonna be my prediction. I think you're gonna play as Chris as the main character in the next game, right? Mm. Jill's gonna be in it as his partner, and you're gonna have a section where you play as Jill, mm. right? In the game, you're gonna have a section where you play as Jill. And just Rose like you is always- gonna be a focus of the story in some way. Yeah, Rose is going to be a focus of the story in in a large part of the story. Do you think, think you're right? You're probably going to we might get a DLC exploring more of Rose's story and like some of her powers and shit. Mm. Maybe we might even get it in this game. We might get DLC of Rose in this. But so this is the question: either we get DLC with Rose, or we get DLC with Chris going after the BSAA, because this yeah. game ends with him like. Oh, that's something I kind of missed. What exactly were they saying? They saw that dude and he was all like mutated like and he started blaming the BSAA for it. 
Yes, because the the BSA is uh, is an evil organization apparently now. Oh, uh, I think they go over all of that in six. When we when we finish six, we'll probably understand most of it. But uh, from what I've heard, what from what I've heard from um Juniper, my friend Juniper, who's a huge uh, Resident Evil person, the they the new Umbrella is like the new um. This is the new guy, good guy, right? Like, yeah, you know that. And um, seven, the DLC for seven kind of addressed that a bit. Yeah, and then the BSAA is now like the bad guys. The, there's like a whole section covering like the fall of the BSAA. I have to go through the entire Resident Evil story again just to kind of get the storyline straight because it is pretty convoluted. See, Revelations, convoluted. Revelations is kind of touching on a bit of some weird stuff going on with the BSAA as well. So um, they're not necessarily coming out making them a bad organization yet from what I've seen because Jill and Chris and all them are working for them as you're tackling uh, this outbreak at a boat that was like apparently some terrorist organization gets a hold of the virus and is like threatening to unleash it on the, on, in, in the ocean and let it spread type deal. And um, there's some weird shit with that about the BSAA having some kind of dealings with somebody else that might be involved with a terrorist or some, some shit like that. So, um, I don't know. I'm curious to see how much of that gets revealed in my revelations playthrough, but yeah, I, I guess six would also be addressing that a bit as well, because I mean, Chris seems pretty gung ho with the BSAA and six. I've played through Chris's playthrough of uh six. Yeah. I haven't noticed I anything. Six, I think chronologically six is the last game. Not just like in number order, but like in the timeline, the Resident Evil time. I think they're like, I think six is the last game. Yeah, because Revelations happens, I think, before a lot of the events in six. So, yeah, I could see that. But I will, I would say seven takes place after six, then, right? Yes. Seven plays, seven takes place at, well, yeah, seven takes place after six, right? And then eight is three years after seven. Yes. So I'm talking about like six is like the last and like the original like story of like Umbrella and like everything, the BSA. Mm -hmm. Before they started like this whole new storyline, right, with Ethan. Okay. Okay. Which they actually already kind of ended. I mean, now Rose can be taking it over, but Ethan technically is dead now. Yeah. So. Unless, unless he comes back again for some, somehow some way i don't know they they made a big statement at the end of it it's like ethan's story or the father's story is now done and i yeah. think that they're i don't think they are, i don't think they are gonna bring him back because they did make that statement and i think they really are i think they don't really have anything really to do with him anymore like yeah. his character is kind of done yeah yeah but, i agree mm. interesting stuff though uh, i do think that it's pretty interesting where they can go with it so um but yeah, that's another touch up on Resident Evil 8. Sorry if uh, anybody's like, man, these guys keep talking about RE8, but it's a new game that's out. We were excited about it. And we got into a good bit of it last episode. And in this one, we were just touching on the end and speculating. So um, do you have anything yeah. else you want to say about 8 before we move on? No, I think we've gotten through pretty much everything. Yeah, I think it's... Uh... We can we can move on. It's time to move on now. Okay, cool. Uh, you, what else have you been playing? Uh, I've actually been kind of in that weird space where after you finish like a really good game, you're trying to figure out what the hell you want to play next. That's where I kind of am. So I've been kind of, I've just been kind of practicing uh, a link to the past randomizers because I've been wanting to get better at them for when we do our um, our big group multi-world things that we, I've been doing with uh, some of the other multi-world guys because they're all pretty much 
some most of them are better than me at it and i don't want to be like the dead weight right when we're we're all everybody just waiting on me to try and finish and everything so i've been practicing those but other than that i haven't really gotten into anything else i'm still trying to figure out like what i feel like playing the follow-up re8 so i went ahead and started up uh alien isolation and um i played like about 30 40 minutes of it and it really just I, I'm going to try and go back and give it another shot, but it's a very slow start. It's a slow game. It's not like yeah. an action game, right? Uh, and I wasn't, I've seen a lot of it. I know? wasn't expecting it to be an action game. I was expecting to have some more, like in the first hour of the game, I was expecting like something to happen though. Like I just yeah. been wandering around the ship, reading shit, and like, you are Ripley's daughter, and you're looking for mm-hmm. your mom. And that stuff's kind of interesting and cool. I was like, okay, this is dope. And you come across a ship, and it's it's in space, kind of broke down. And I'm in it looking around, but it's there's some dark areas and stuff, but I'm just kind of wandering around. And part of it, too, was I just tired that night, I think, when I started it. And so I was kind of like, eh, I'll get back to it. So I just didn't really give it a good, I didn't give it a good shot. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, it's an interesting game. The game is all about atmosphere, and it's pure survival horror. So it's a slow game. It's not one of these games where there's going to be like a lot of shooting and fighting. From everything that I've seen about it, and I had played a little bit of it. I got, I, play, I haven't played too much more than you did. I've gotten to the part where you first see the alien. Okay, cool, much. cool. Yeah, I did notice something interesting that they asked me if my camera setup was hooked because they were like. Do you want us to, like, if we see you do something in the camera, it would react in the game? Or do you want us to have the audio on so that if we hear stuff going on, it would alert the alien in the game? And I was like, oh, shit. That's kind of interesting, but, like, I always have... The AI is, like, the big draw in this game with Mm. the alien and everything. Uh, What are you... Are you playing on the hardest difficulty? I did put it on it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you put it in a nightmare, okay. Yeah, Um, but I didn't... um, I I haven't found alien yet. Okay, yeah. Uh, I, I put it on Nightmare 2 because I wanted to try it out, but I don't know if I'm going to keep it on there because from what I heard, this fucking AI of this alien is relentless, right? It's like, it's not like the AI is in like normal, uh, like any other normal horror game like Mr. X or Lady Dimitrescu where they just kind of, they've got like a pattern where they follow. This alien actually seeks you and like hunts you. And when you put it on the hardest difficulty, It'll get alerted by like the smallest sounds and shit that you make. So, mm. um, I'm gonna, I'm wondering like if I really actually want to try to do it like this on this mode because, like I said, this is already a slow game. This isn't like a game with like, like um, a lot of like action or like anything like that because you can't fight the alien. The only thing you can do against the alien is you find a flamethrower at one point and you can try and scare it off. But I'm expecting the flamethrower to do jack shit on freaking nightmare mode because mm-hmm. mainly because you're probably not going to have enough ammo for it to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then like the only other enemies is um, there are humans that you kind of try to hide from because everybody's scared shitless and if they find you, they'll just try to like kill you just to take whatever you have to survive. You know, everybody's scared and trying to survive. And then the androids that are apparently malfunctioning and they'll, they'll, they'll try and fucking kill you and shit. Mm. But Okay. And that's really the only three types of enemies in the game. Interesting. So, so I'm gonna give know. it a I'm shot. A, I'm 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 willing to give it a shot. 
see how hard it is. See if mm-hmm. this alien is uh, going to be handle- manageable on this difficulty or enjoyable. And yeah. if it doesn't feel like that, I think I might just back it down. Because, uh, like I said, this this game is... Like, I want to play it, but it's one of those games I feel like it's going to be hard to keep my attention if I get really stuck with it. Because it's such a uh, atmospheric, kind of methodical type game. I think I might end up getting bored with it pretty quick if I get stuck on a part of it. I can see that. Okay. Uh, give me one second. I'm going to pause us, and then I'm going to get into Blasphemous. <clears throat> All right, now we're back. Sorry about that. All right. <clears throat> Blasphemous. So I've been started playing that one. That one's really taken my attention. Do you know anything about this game, Kev? Yes. This is one of those games that I had my eye on when it first came out, and I wanted to get it and play it, but it just ended up getting put on my backlog. But, yeah, I have seen some of it. And it's a, uh, It's like a platforming kind of like Dark Souls type of thing. It's right. Castlevania meets Dark Souls. It's like yeah. a, a blending of those two concepts. Okay. Like it's Castlevania Symphony of the Night plus like Dark Soul type like um, game mechanics to it and stuff. And like storytelling stuff. Right. So it's like a mix of those two. So um, the game you are called The Penitent One. And uh, so again... It's kind of vague, just like Dark Souls is in that sense, right? The story is and stuff. You get items. The items have lore behind it. You can read the item stuff to find different, like, lore information and stuff like that. Right. And, like, um, there's little things you could do. Like, one thing, you'll find dead bodies strewn about the levels, the different areas, basically. Because you have a giant map, kind of like Castlevania. As you go through, and I'm, I'm comparing it to Symphony of the Night because that was the most recent Castlevania I just played. And it reminds me a lot of it where you're going through the game and you're opening up different parts of the map and you can look at the map and you can see the areas you already visited. Then you can tell like, oh, wait, there's like a little space in between the barriers for the wall. Oh, maybe I, there's a, I need to go back and check this area out because I missed that, you know? And you go and there's a little doorway to something and there's something there. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and a lot of the game, as you get different abilities, if you go back to those areas, you can get to places you couldn't get to before, open up places you couldn't open before, or just interact with people or, or things that you couldn't before because now you have a certain item or something like that, right? So there's a, there's a lot to like going back and like do all the times I'd go back and then it's just, here's this other secret thing. Here's this other thing. And it's like, oh shit, like this is like fucking awesome. Like, I came across this, like, almost like this kind of coffin thing. And, like, I walked in this, like, cave area, and there was this, like, coffin thing sitting there. And there was nothing I could do with it. Oh. Is back- it, like, a big, like, glass coffin with, like, all these, like, gold ornamentation and shit on it? Because I'm, I'm looking at, like, some, some, uh, some photos and, like, pictures and shit mm. of the game right now. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't think it's there. I don't think there was gold on it. But I'm okay. not sure. Um, I just remember when you go back to it, the coffin's open because there's something I did in the game, and I'm not even sure what I did. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I just, like, jumped on it for whatever, and I fell straight through to a different area. So I was like, oh, shit, that's pretty dope. Um, you can talk to one of the dead bodies with an ability you get. The bodies will, like, kind of whisper to you and tell you stuff. 
And a lot of times you'll find them that'll tell you about the boss you're about to fight, which is kind of interesting. Um, I talked to them and they, uh, one of them was like, oh, there was this saint and everybody worshiped him and he was in gold and all this stuff and they buried him in this shit and blah, 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 blah. And then when you go into some of the next areas, you fight a boss fight of a, like, it's like a skeleton. He's like got a skull. There's a skeleton in like fine robes and jewels and stuff. And there's a bunch of hands holding him up in the air of like his oh, worshipers. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I see, I see the picture of it. Yeah, and it was like a cool design for it. And the idea is you had to hit the hands so they would drop him and you'd have to hit his face, the opening of the skull. Right. That was like the boss mechanic for that fight. So it okay. was pretty dope in that sense of how they're handling it. And yeah. like I remember that like a lot of things in this game like a renaissance painting. Yes, they do. And like a lot of it and it has like these kind of Christian type overtones I would say of um you like one of the other things is you have the rosary and you get put different rosary beads in your rosary and it gives you different abilities and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, you're this, going around uh, in the church. This big skeleton boss you were just talking about. He's the, his name is Melquides, the exhumed archbishop. So yeah, so it's all very pious and very Christian overtones, like Renaissance, uh, Inquisition, like that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and there's all other shit too. Where like you'll do something right, and something will happen. And if you leave, if you just leave and go back, there might be an item there now or there might be something else there. So, like, it always behooves you to go back to the areas you've gone to. When you interact with something, maybe walk out and walk back in because it'll load something else. It's okay. one of those type games where there's all types of little secret things, things that you can miss if you're not paying attention. You know? Is this a is this a roguelike kind of like in the way of Dead Cells, where it's like when you die, your hunt's over and you have to like start a new run? No, no, uh, it's more like okay. Dark Souls in that sense, where you find different checkpoints, basically like bonfires. Okay. And uh, every time you hit the the bon, you're it's like a church thing that you pray to, like a little temple thing that you okay. pray to. And whenever you do that, it reloads all the enemies that you killed back, but it gives you all your health and refills your your bials. Yeah, like you basically like your flasks. Ah, uh, okay. okay. That that like you heal with. And as you go, you can find empty bile, empty bile containers, and you can fill them up with blood that runs from like a statue of Mary. Basically, there's like these like statues. I don't know if it's Mary per se, but there's like a woman, and she's like, and the statue itself is like bleeding, and you can fill those up with blood. Right. And then um, right. that's it's how you it, the, heal. the metaphor there is that it's it's Mary because Mary's often pictured like bleeding and stuff. People often talking about, right. And like Catholicism, I think. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just really interesting. Uh, the, the, the layout of that too. And like, you can get your health stuff like that and you can refill it at these like prayer stations basically. And all throughout, there's a bunch of them. Right. And so that's the dark. So it's like bonfires basically. And so, and if you do something and you die, it's, it's, it stays done, right? Like if you hit a save station and you go do something, 
And if you don't get to another save station and you die, it's fine. It saved whatever you did. Okay, okay. You'll just uh, pop back up at the most recent save station that you uh, interacted with, you know? What uh, what about, like, uh, collectibles? Like, different collectibles or, like, weapons and armors and, like, skills? So you don't like get any, any weapons. Type- no weapons, no armor. It's almost like Sekiro in that sense, where you just mm-hmm. get the sword. You have this sword, and that's all you have. But you do get different prayer attacks. They call them prayers. So, like... You'll get a bunch of those, and they use basically like an MP of sorts, where uh, it it's um, if you uh, you build it up over time. If you find these like little this area, there's rooms where they have these little like cups of like blue liquid, and you take it, and it increases basically your magic ability. You can you can say, but it's like prayer, and like you can shoot electricity out, or you can like. You could do a prayer ability that every time you hit something, you regain health, you know, or so they could be attacks. They could be like perks like that. Um, okay. you, you'll so find. There's, so there's like branching paths that, should, that you could take, like you can have like different builds, right? Like if you go, th- like if you go yeah. through the game, again, so you can do like. You can pick different things. Well, yeah. So that's what the rosary is. So your rosary, you find rosary knots. And there's like, I think there's like six of them you can get. And then, uh, but you might find about like, like 30 something rosary beads in the whole game or something like that. But you can only put six of them in. And each of those beads have like different perks to it. They could be increased defense, increased offense. It could be something for your dodging. It could be, you know, name it. So then you can build out what kind of perks you want to be how your character is. See what I'm saying? Okay, yeah. Yeah. So um, you could do it that way if you want. Um, let's see. Uh, so that, that that's how you can kind of differentiate and kind of like you know, have a different character that way. You have different magic attacks. You could do that. And then there's different um, – there's there's other things. There's another thing you can equip too that these are, these are something separate, not part of your rosary. But these are important for like – getting through different stages like one you can breathe in poisonous gas and it won't hurt you because there's certain areas that are blocked off to you because there's poisonous gas floating through it once you find that item you could do that one lets you drop from any height so like initially if you drop off a stage you die but with this on if you drop off a stage you'll just go down to the bottom to, to like another part of the stage and sometimes you can get to areas you couldn't get to before by having that okay so you'll, okay. ha- you'll have something like that that you can use. Uh, there's the um, invisible platforms will appear. Like these like little sparks of blood that are floating in the air will then turn into a platform and those can help you jump around to get places you couldn't if you have this item. So there's certain items like that you need to find. They're kind of broken up in sections. There's one section of items that help you like traverse through stages. There's the rosary bead stuff that helps you like kind of like build your character how you want to like build it to deal with enemies and such right there's another section of items or something you get that'll like but you can only use one at a time like run you can have one prayer equipped at a time and that'll be like your whatever magic ability you want to shoot lightning out uh you want to be able to get health back from attacks you want to have like a like these circular shields that warp around you to help absorb attacks and hit enemies or something like that there's a number of things they could do you have a parry ability. You can parry enemy attacks and do strong attacks. But not every enemy is 
you can parry. Or like some enemies you can parry, but they won't set you up for like a devastating attack. You'll just block right. the attack and like, you know, you won't get hit, but that'll be it. Um, so there's a dash mechanic, so you can dash under things, uh, dash through things and stuff like that. Um, you know, stuff like that. You can build out different attacks. There's a charge attack. You can jump in the air, come down, slam attack, dash forward with an attack. And those things you build out too through different different functions and different things in the game. Um, so all in all, you know, it's just... It's just very interesting. It's almost like how Castlevania, you had the thing where you could turn into a bat. Now you can fly to areas you couldn't before. You could turn into... This one, you find different items, and they allow you to get places that you couldn't before. So then you want to come back to it to be able to get other stuff. So, uh, overall, I think I'm about the... the When I load it up, I'm about like 90% done with the game. Oh, okay. How long... Uh, doesn't sound like a very long game then because you haven't been playing it that long huh? it's only been like what a few days since yeah. you started playing it it's not a terribly long game i mean it's only like i think 20 30 bucks initially when it released right now psn okay. has it for 10 because it's one of those like independent games you know yeah, like yeah, it's not yeah. it's not yeah, like i a, know it's an indie game yeah yeah i'd say it's about as long as a castlevania uh you know okay because there's a lot of back and forth i tell you this though one of the things that I wish I would have known before and it probably cut down my time a bit more is there's, there's certain stations where there's like this hand and it has a portal. There's like a hand statue with a portal underneath it. And there's only about like maybe six, seven of those in the game, but those let you teleport to different areas in the game. Helpful, but they're only like, again, there's only like six or seven. The map's kind of big. So you might be able to tell we're somewhere close, but if you need to get somewhere specific, you really got to grind through it. Well, there's a mechanic in the game that there's a there's a church you can go to and you can give offering to the church. It took me a minute to figure it oh. out. And I actually only figured it out because I was looking at something on YouTube and uh, about Blasphemous and somebody was like, somebody had it on the front of their YouTube page, like the the thumbnail. 20,000 okay. to the church. You get well, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? So what happens is if you give money to the church, the church will continually expand and become like a bigger part in the game. If you give the church what? a shit ton of money, those prayer stations you're at become teleportation stations okay. like bonfires. Okay, yeah. And then you can teleport to more specific parts in the map than just these general areas out of those like portal stations okay okay so and, then what are your like your souls right in this game is it the money if you die do you lose your money no or actually is that like is one else? mechanic you don't have you don't lose money from dying what happens though is you you obtain guilt for dying and what mm. that does is that will shorten your uh your magic your mp bar and the more times you die, the less MP you get. Now, you can easily negate that two ways. One, you travel back to the place you died at, and you'll see like a little little statue figure of yourself there, and you just press triangle on it, and you you know you're you know it, the guilt goes away, the thorns go yeah. off of your um, your MP bar, and you get it back. 
Another way you can do it is you find these statues and you'll and you pay you buy your guilt free. You give them the money stuff that you earn in it and you're absolved of your guilt. And that'll lift the the barrier on your MP so that you can use your magic attacks. Or at least you use them more or whatever. So that's kind of what happens if you die. You get punished in that kind of way. Uh, but you don't lose your, your your money stuff. There, there's a few there's a there's a few places where there's the merchant where you can buy some stuff. I think it's only like three different areas. And, it's, and the mer- in each area, the merchant has like three different items. So you can buy nine items in total. The money's also used to upgrade to like different sort attacks. Like I was telling you, there's like a charge attack, a dash attack. Of uh, you can add more to your combo. You just you know it was just basically just press square you know, three times, four times, and he does like a little one, two, three, four. Uh, so the money is used for that stuff. Um, there's a guy who has like an old man, like it almost looks like this older man inside this younger, this giant younger kid. I say kid, but I don't know. He's, he's like an adult too. But uh, this, this dude and like um, he... He will bless your your bile so that they heal you more when you take them. Basically, uh, so your basically like your uh, Estus flag flasks become more effective. Right. But the more times you use them, the more that growth in his chest starts coming out. It's like an old man coming out of his chest, like fucking alien. So, um, yeah, you end up killing him by upgrading that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow okay and then once he dies i imagine he's just like gone for good right seems like it yep <clears throat> so uh, yeah um yeah there's a bunch of little cool shit in there there's um there's this chick you find and she asked for your help and piecing together this like mirror thing this like a portal um and so you got to find these different fragments of the of the mirror or the, or the glass window or whatever. And so when you go find, like, it's like a portal you go into and you go into, like, almost like a time attack thing where you got to get through this stage at a certain time. And, that, and that's been pretty cool. Those are pretty challenging. Um, I've gotten three of the four so far. I need to find the fourth one. Um, but, yeah. Overall, real solid game, real solid experience. Uh, a lot of cool shit. There's a lot of the game could be much longer uh, if you're going to find all the different shit in it. And apparently, there's even some more shit that you can do in New Game Plus. So apparently, there's a few other things that pop up that you can interact with and do that weren't in the main game. Okay. So there's a lot of replay value to it. Uh, it is definitely a Castlevania Dark Souls like feel to it. Uh, really cool, man. Uh, shout out to the nerds. I saw Aaron playing it from Nerds Podcast uh, months back, and I was like, "This looks kind of cool," but I didn't really put much mind to it at the time. And then I seen it on sale for like ten bucks, and I was like, "Ah, fuck it, I'll pay ten bucks for it. I want to see what this is." And I'm glad I did. It's a really cool fucking game. Uh, it's definitely something up your alley, Kev. Like, I think you would really enjoy that game. Yeah, I'm definitely going to get it. I'm going to get it. Uh, I think I might get it. If it's on sale on Steam, I'll probably pick it up on Steam. It seems, I think that might be a game I might play on um, on PC like mm-hmm. that. But um, 
I don't know. If it's cheaper on PlayStation, I might get it on PlayStation. Because, like I said, it's one something on my backlog that I've been looking at getting when it first came out, and it just kind of ended up on the back burner, and uh, I didn't really end up uh, either getting it or looking much at it. Yeah, no, it's really dope. Um, I would say you should definitely get it. It's it's up your alley. PlayStation's got it for ten. Yeah, you can see what Steam has it for. Um, it's not terribly hard. Again, it feels more like it's not brutally hard like Castlevania. I'd say. I would say I would say the difficulty of it is a mix between Castlevania, Symphony of the Night, and Dark Souls. It's a little harder than Castlevania, I'd say, but. Not terribly hard. Like most of these bosses, I'm killing on my first try. Especially okay. if you go find everything and get all the stuff and you go into these bosses, you know, like kind of with all the, the gear and everything you can get, it's not going to be very difficult at all to get through. Um, there's nothing that's like stopped me and I'm like, fuck, you know, like I'm kind of blitzing through it at a decent pace. Okay, so... Uh... Yeah, so it, it's good, and there's no difficulty either. Like, there's no like easy, normal, hard mode. You basically you're right. just it's one difficulty. So you're saying mm. you're not finding it very difficult, you know? Because no. I thought maybe you know, it was like uh like one of the things about at least with Souls games, people everybody says this is a Souls like. One of the things that normally uh people do with that is like, oh, this is a hard game. Yeah, right. I mean, uh, I, but, I, I definitely I guess by like our standards, you're saying it's not like incredibly difficult like but no no a lot of times i die is mostly just me making dumb mistakes i mean yeah i've fallen on the spikes and stuff like that but it's not i've never had anything that i'm like fuck i'm stuck at this thing for like an hour like trying to get it right you know um the hardest thing i think i did recently was one of those time attack things but that was just me kept like stupidly not jumping i didn't really understand how you were supposed to jump to this last ladder thing it was some dumb it was dumb. I, I shouldn't have died as many times as I did, but I did. Uh, but again, that that didn't hold me up that long. It took me maybe twenty minutes, you know, to get through or something like that. Oh, okay. So that's who this game is made by. It's made by Team Seventeen. Okay. They're a nice. Uh, if you don't know who they are, they're a great uh, indie studio. You've definitely played their games. Uh, Overcooked is another one of their games. They they made it. They're one of their newest one is Narita Boy that they just made. Uh, they make a lot of great indie games. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, I don't, I'm not too familiar with them, but uh, yeah, I'd probably be looking at some of the other shit. Like this is pretty impressive. I really enjoy it. So um, I'm almost done it. I might even finish it today. I don't know. Right, if not, it'll probably be later. Whenever I get a chance to play it after work or something like it, it'll probably be this week when I'm done it. So uh, overall, pretty good experience. Um, there's two different endings to the game. It depends on if you. Uh, find certain items and stuff like that and do it so um yeah it's 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 really good i mean uh the biggest thing about it is like if you don't use a guide for the most part i have not been using a guide and i've really just been coming across a lot of different secret secret shit some just by accident it's been fun i've been enjoying like those happy accidents and you find some cool shit there's been like one or two things that i've gone to a guide for because i just didn't feel like like one, for instance, a lot of times I've been using the guide is for stuff like this. Um, there was these red candles and I wasn't sure what to do with them. Right. So then like I, w- I use the guide to like find that out. Right. Because it's just like I'm getting so far into it. I almost beat it. So I'll use a guide to just like, what is that? And it's like because I've been able to do stuff with the blue candles, not the red. 
And come to find out, I just, I, it was just a door I missed. Like I just overlooked the oh. door. And if I would have went there, I would have got the bead and then I could have done these certain things. Right. So right. it's, it's shit like that. There's, there's been a few points where I've looked at a guy, but for the most part, I'd say 90% of my play, I haven't really looked at any guy. I've just been finding the shit and doing it. But, you know, I didn't want to beat it and miss shit. So, and I think I'm, I think I'm right at the end. So I've started like, okay, what are some things I miss? Cause I don't want to, I don't want to miss parts of the game, but I do want to try and get what I can get without using a guide. Cause I want to be able to like experience discovering things. Right. Like there's certain things that were really cool to figure out on my own. Like there was one where there was a gate blocking this thing but i talked to one of the dead bodies and he was like oh this sound why do they keep using this thing over and over again you know something like that and it's like oh shit there's like this little elevator thing by him and if i just keep going up and down up and down and at first i was doing it for a while i was like oh, maybe i'm wrong and then all of a sudden one of the times i, I did it it opened the gate i was like oh shit oh that's awesome like you know i figured it out like that was that you know and it's just like some item. Like, it's not terribly important. You're not going to be able to not beat the game if you don't figure it out, you know? But it's little shit like that that's kind of cool, you know? That you, you know, figure out. So, it's a, it's, it's a really interesting game. Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to check it out. I'm definitely going to get it. Check it out. Yep. So, uh, all good. So, um, to the topic that we have, I think that's all I have on Blasphemous. And you said, yeah, we've really been getting into much other than practicing some runs with uh, uh, Zelda. Um, we're talking about Nintendo. We're talking about, um, for that matter. And we're talking about, like, finding, like, these older style games. And because Nintendo just won a lawsuit against these ROM hack sites for like what was it like two million twenty million i forget what it, was it was against one side it was against one dude and it was from what the article i was reading was saying uh the the reason he nintendo first targeted him was because he was having fucking switch roms for new games like new switch games up on his site oh. which they're not even roms they're iso files they're like which is how they do they they uh but people call them roms but that's just like technical stuff but yeah that's why nintendo went after him but yeah. he also had like a lot of classic stuff on his site too because this site's been around for like a good 10 years or so mm, mm. uh his site rom universe uh it's taken down now it's gone now but yeah nintendo went after him uh from what i was reading the story that he tried to uh <laughs> he tried to like get like um a defense i forget what uh what they called it but it was basically like he tried to say like he didn't upload the ROMs himself, so he can't be responsible. He was just an intermediary. But mm. then he ended up admitting later, for some reason, that he actually did upload the ROMs to himself. So he kind of his defense kind of fell through, and Nintendo tried to ended up getting uh, a settlement for uh, two million dollars. They were looking for a settlement of eleven million dollars. Mm. Okay, yeah, okay. but the judge awarded them two million. So Damn. yeah. Damn! Shut it down. So, um, I just thought it'd be an interesting way to spin into the topic of playing some of these classic games. Like, there, there's been, and we've covered it before episodes ago, which I don't even know if it still might be up yet or not, but, because uh, as we progress 
some of the older episodes have kicked off the feed. You know, there's so much it holds at a time. Right. So, um, I, um, we have covered about historic gaming. There are sites that try to preserve the history of gaming or like, like, yeah, uh, that was like games. an episode. Uh, a while ago that we did, I said, yeah. I said, like two years ago at least. We yeah, did that yeah, and um, because like there's a lot of old games, and, and there's this argument like PlayStation, for instance, since we talk about them a bit, and that's typically what I play now with my PlayStation 5. Like, there is a thing where there's a mindset of like, oh, that's old, jank shit, we don't need to play that. Like, Sony has a lot of great classic games. But they are not doing anybody any favors on trying to be able to play these classic games. Like, I I can't imagine it would be that hard to be able to just put on the PlayStation Store just, every, you know, a couple titles every month or something like that just for sale of, right. like, old Final Fantasy games and, like, old Resident Evil games and all this kind of shit. And, like, I'd imagine people I would I think buy. when it comes to, like, the Final Fantasy... You got to remember a lot of the the stuff that they had that it was exclusive to PlayStation at the time. That's not first party studio stuff from them. That's third party studio stuff that was just exclusive on the PlayStation, like Square Enix and shit. But like when it comes to like Crash Bandicoot, they don't even. I don't even think Sony even owns like the Naughty Dog even owns Crash Bandicoot anymore. I don't think and yeah. shit like that. So I think rights have a lot to do with why maybe why they don't do that. But I guess they would have to work that out with Square Enix to put those original games like on there like that. Yeah. I would imagine they'd have to, um, and it might be something like that. I don't know, but there's some stuff that I know. I mean, if it's on their PlayStation three store, I don't see why it can't be transferred over or why they haven't been able to connect the two. Yes. Cause a lot of that stuff is on the PlayStation three store and a lot of the like old classic, uh, final fantasies. And like, there are a lot of classic games that are on just on steam. So I don't see why they couldn't be put on the PSN as well. Like you say, that, yeah. is, that is a kind of a good point that they do keep all that stuff on PS three. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't understand why you can't be played PS four. The other thing, which I'm not going to get into it on this one too much is aggravating too, is like some of that stuff, um, some of that stuff, like <laughs> they, um, they make it harder for streaming as well. Like streaming some classic games. Cause I think people would enjoy watching some of these classic games played, especially older people who, um, grew up on these games. Oh yeah, retro is one of the biggest, uh, biggest like kind of broad categories mm. of, uh, where everybody streams like their classic games and everything. For sure. It's one of the like the biggest categories, right, on Twitch. But the thing is, is that a lot of people who play these games on retro, they're either playing a Steam version of the game or they're playing on emulator. Yeah. Or they're playing on original hardware and they have their original hardware mounted to be able to stream it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they don't really do you any favors with some of these re-releases. Like, for instance, I tried to stream Bioshock. They re-released it, remakes of Bioshock, out on the um, PlayStation 4. Can't stream it. Shut it down. You know? And it's, it kind of sucks. You know, you want to be able to play it. You want to stream it. See who wants to jump on, watch it, and just have fun. And whatever. That, that's a different topic. But... Playing some of these old classic games, having a, a good place to play them. Like, one of the big scares that happened earlier was PlayStation 3 was about to shut down the store. And a lot of people yeah. were like, oh, shit. And they started, there was actually an increase of people buying um, PlayStation, like classic games and stuff like that. 
because yeah. I heard tons of people like, oh, I'm going to buy a couple before the store shuts down. They didn't do yeah. it. They were like, oh, fuck it, because they had enough people saying they, they wanted the store up. They said, well, for the upcoming future, we're going to still have it up. They still yeah. probably will shut it down sometime in the future, but for now it'll stay up. I'm hoping I'm hoping they're working on a solution for like you said, this is a diff, another different topic. But for the PSN, like I was telling you about the the CMOS battery in the PS3, mm-hmm. when it when it dies and you replace the CMOS battery in the PS3 for the clock and it tries to sync to the PSN, if the PSN is not there to sync to it, a lot of PS3 games will not boot up because of that, because that's part of how it kind of uh it's one of the checks that the game performs to see yeah. that if you're playing a pirated game or not yeah you know it checks with the psn and it tries to sync to see if that if it can you know and it checks the clock and everything and if it can't it won't boot up so i'm hoping that the reason they decided to delay that is to try to come up with some kind of workaround right y- yeah like uh, you would you would hope but i don't know cuz playstation's definitely taking a stance of who gives a fuck about old games right it certainly seems like that it seems like they're just looking straight well, one, forward, of the, which... one of the one of the heads of i forget who it is but one of the guys involved with making some of the decisions at playstation has made that statement that has been reported by video game like websites and stuff like that that they like nobody's going back to play these old titles and i think they're looking at some of their numbers of who's playing, but it's like that's not fair to look. If you're looking at who's playing on PlayStation Three, well, people's got fours and fives, and PC has a lot of those things. You're not right. going to really know who's really playing until you actually make it available for people to be able to play. Then you'll be able to see maybe a better idea of what numbers are actually buying some of these classic games because there's a big market for it. I don't understand why you're just snuffing it. Right, and I'll tell you this too. Wasn't such a- if it wasn't such a great market, I mean, Steam wouldn't be getting into it. I mean, you wouldn't have. Yeah. There's like, like I said, there's a ton of things on that. You well, know, and then same thing with like Windows Store. Yeah. And I'm not sure about Epic Store, but I'm pretty sure they got a lot of things on there that are classics and remakes and shit that they have. HD editions and like everything else. Yeah. And and also, too, I feel like sometimes, especially with, and I'm, I'm poking at PlayStation because they're the ones who've made, they're the ones who are really making this kind of statement with their actions and sometimes with their words from what I've heard. Whereas Xbox is actually like, no, all our games are available on Xbox. So like that, like Xbox has done it. Almost yeah. all their games from Xbox 360 and all that, there might be a few titles like you were mentioning before with Final Fantasy where there might be some legality issues where they can't put it back up again. But for the most part, most of those games, classic games and all that shit, like, it's a damn shame that I can go and buy Metal Gear Solid 2 and 3 Substance and get the classic Metal Gear game with it, go and buy and download it on Xbox, on my Xbox 3, on my Xbox One, but I can't do that on my PlayStation 4. Instead, I have to go to PlayStation Now and stream it. Yeah, that is bullshit. That's bullshit. It is, especially when Metal Gear came. Metal Gear helped put PlayStation on the map with a number of other titles like Crash Bandicoot and stuff like that. That yeah. put PlayStation on the map in the '90s. And now, if I want to play it through consoles, I basically should do it on Xbox. That's a fucking shame. Yeah. I don't understand why there isn't much focus to that because people want to play those games. 
Oh yeah. I want to play them. There's a ton of people. There's those games still hold up. Like oh, those a lot of these games hold up. The you go back and you play them, and they're better than some of the the newer shit that you'll find. Right? It's like these games still hold up great. A lot of them do. Yeah, for sure. Um, I I, I don't know, man, because that that mindset that like, because I almost feel like, and to some extent, I think they are doing it, and you can see it when they said, "Oh, let's remake The Last of Us." What? Like, I feel like their concept is they will remake these games instead of putting the just put the classic games up. A prime example of like a remake not holding up to the original is Resident Evil 3 Remake. Resident Evil 3 Remake, for all intents and purposes, is a good game. I enjoy Resident Evil 3 Remake. It is not a replacement experience for Resident Evil 3. The original. You can't play 3 Remake and then be like, oh yeah, I played 3. No, you can't. Because three is like the original three is completely different. If you want to play it, you're gonna have to either play it on emulator. I don't know if it's available on like Xbox or Windows. PlayStation Store, three. But it's, a, it's available on the place the PS. That's where I played it when I did mine was the PlayStation Network on the PlayStation ah, three. See, I played mine on Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's not available on four. Three network, not four. Why? Who fucking knows? And you know it's weird. Uh, Code Veronica is available on four. They did some remake, and um, <clears throat> you can play Code Veronica on four. Uh, why the I fuck? Don't know. Why the fuck you can't play three? I don't know. I think it's got a lot to do with Sony's like they don't see a market in the past. Like I said, I think I remember them saying that they were talking about backwards compatibility, which is another thing they don't like to do. They're afraid to do it. I don't know why the fuck not. Why the hell doesn't nobody like backwards compat? Why do they think nobody likes backwards compatibility anymore? I don't know, but. It's another thing, right? Because like, yeah. um, they they let you play like um, a selection of like PS4 games, right? Mm. On the uh, the PS5, does every PS4 game work on the PS5? Because I know I was saying that. Um, yeah, from my understanding, most if not all, I haven't come across a four game that doesn't work for five. Okay. I haven't gone down the so, list and tested every fucking game, but. For all intents and purposes, the messaging I hear is basically if you have a five, you really don't need your four. Okay. Because it's it's, so then, it's backwards compatible. All right. Well, then that's good. It sounds like they, they finally tried to do something with backwards compatibility because when the four came out, you couldn't play any of your three games. And you, still, you can't play any you still of your three can't. games. Still can't. You got to stream them. You have to yeah. fucking stream them. Like, they don't even let you download it like Xbox. How does Xbox let you download these fucking games and PlayStation? Well, you got to stream it and streaming sucks. I tried streaming Metal Gear and it's not a pleasurable experience. It stutters. It's not the worst because I have a decent internet connection. It's playable. It's definitely playable, but like I wouldn't put it on the hardest difficulty or nothing like that because it it, it stutters and stuff and I'd get too frustrated. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try and go through like a difficult experience on something that's going to like with a handicap. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I've I've heard some of the same things. I was watching someone play through the original two God of Wars 
in mm. the third one. He's playing the third one now because he was playing the he was streaming the God of War collection on the which is on the PS3, but it's not on the four. And it has God of War one, two, three, and Change of Olympus. Mm. And I'm not sure if it has Sons of Sparta too, but it might. But it basically had every game up until that point, right? Mm. I think, so it might have actually have a the Sons of Sparta too. Yeah. But uh the he was trying to play he's been playing through them one of the streamers i watch mm -hmm. and he's ha been streaming them on playstation now and for the most part it seems like it's been it's been pretty smooth for him because he's got like a really good internet connection too mm -hmm. but then there are some parts where like it'll stutter and he'll end up like dying or something because yeah. it'll just like eat his input yep yep so it's it's um <clears throat> and like playstation is not the only one kind of fucking around with it because like nintendo's doing a lot of the same uh but they're doing it they're better i think than what playstation is but they're still doing their weird shit like they have their like for the switch they have the nes and snes games and like slowly they're releasing like a handful of games every couple of months and so, yeah. like, I've seen, like, Breath of Fire has popped up on the Switch. Um, and, like, if you pay 20 bucks a year, you get access to all of it with their quote-unquote online features, whatever the fuck that is. And um, you can get a couple of their classic games, and that's cool. Like, it's definitely better than what Sony's doing where you can stream yeah. them, and that sucks. But it's, it's still actually a, a, a little trick you can do about that. Just sort of interrupt you, but uh, if you want to – if you you can actually get – Famicom and Super Famicom games too. If you, since the Switch is region free, if you make another account on your Switch, you don't even have to make another Nintendo account. You just need to make another like player account on your Switch, and then you uh, set the location to Japan and you download the. Um, you can get the Famicom and you can Super Famicom little services like that, and it has all of the Famicom and Super Famicom games, which they have a different list than what we do over here. Oh, so you actually get some different games with that like that if you wanted to do that mm. the only thing is that all the games are going to be in japanese yeah you gotta reach it mm -hmm. yeah. yeah but i mean that's interesting uh and it's definitely i guess worthwhile to those who want to explore those different avenues for stuff like that um but it's still in all the point being like the boundaries to trying to play some of these classic games with these companies almost pretending like people don't play them anymore like i don't know and then i'd be really curious to see what numbers that people get through the actual channels that they actually play it and right. like, because uh, I mean, you're. I would say this. I would agree. The classic games. There's a niche market for it. It is well, not. It's. I don't think it's as as viable as like a mainstream. Like you're never gonna have numbers that watch fucking Fortnite, watch somebody's playthrough of like Dino Crisis, or somebody's playthrough of a classic Resident Evil game or something like that. Well, I don't know. I think it depends, right? Because one of the most famous speedrunners is a guy named the Mexican speedrunner. All he does is speedrun retro games, right? Mm -hmm. He's got this thing he does. He's called the Retro Game Gauntlet. He does it every year. And um, and he was basically where he speedruns just a bunch of like old NES games, right? And a lot of people like watching him for it. So I think it might depend on like what you're doing with it and like how well, you're playing I mean, it. Is he getting but like millions of views? Or, like, is, is, is those numbers reaching like Ninja streaming with fucking Drake? 
No, uh, the, he's not getting like those kind of views. But, but that's the point I'm might, making is like, yeah. I guess if companies are looking at it from those kind of standpoints, like I don't yeah. think he'll get like he'll get like two, three thousand people, like a decent amount of people in there. But he's not uh, getting like fifty thousand or fucking hundred thousand people or some shit fucking watching him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the point I'm making. Like it's a niche market where it's like it's it's viable. It's not like it's non-existent. There's money to be made there, but it's and, and uh, honestly, it's a cheap market to play in. These games are already done and made, and they're small data. Like, they, it should be easy enough to upload and to just make money. You know, you just re-release them. Like, people are rebuying right. them. Nintendo's done it for the last couple of Wii and Wii U. They had two different markets where they were sold like some of the same fucking games. You had to rebuy. Oh, yeah. they've been doing it since the the DS too. Yeah, they, with the DS and the 3DS, people you could buy them on there too with the eShop. You could buy them yep. so. Yeah, and they're making hand over fist like money, like as far as like profit wise. I mean, you may not be making like giant revenues, but the profit you got to be making off of it has got to be substantial because people will pay for these things. I've paid for them. A number of people I know will. The average gamer is in their 30s. So all these games right now are like nostalgia factories for them that they would buy. Like, I don't understand what the boundaries are about. Like Xbox is the only one that's kind of getting it, but the only reason why they might be even getting it the way they are is because they're losing. So they're doing everything they can to appeal to gamers. And I don't know. I don't know if there's some kind of cost thing. I don't know if there's a hubris thing. I don't. I think it's just hubris on Sony's point because they don't see a market in the past, and they're just. I don't know. They're just out of touch, right? Because, I mean, it's a Japanese company, and Japanese companies aren't known for listening to their fans. It's not something they do. This is something Juniper has told me before, too. It's just not like something that companies do. Mm. And when a Japanese company does listen to their fans, it's usually after, like, a lot of, like, a lot of talk, and like, a lot mm. of backlash and shit. Mm. Like, people, like, how long people have been That's wanting backwards compatibility. The PlayStation on, Network getting shut down, that came with a lot of backlash to where they actually listened and turned around. And I would say that that is a substantial evidence that people are wanting to keep these classic older games. Because yeah. not everybody was just wanting it up for PlayStation 3 games. It's because they actually have a substantial library of PS2 and PS1 games on the network that are still, like, an easy way to play them than having to get emulators and stuff like that and play it on PC. Hell, like, one of the problems I had is I went to Steam and I bought um, uh, Leg- uh, Legacy- uh, Soul Reaver 2. Yeah. And I can't play it because my computer apparently has, I, I think, more advanced uh, graphics card or something like that than what's required. And, like, you came over and were trying to, like, download certain things into the folder and stuff to try and make it work, and we couldn't make it work. You know? Maybe with some more time, you could have made it work. Not that you couldn't, but but for just – we spent a while messing with it, and we couldn't get it to work. Yeah, because the the release on Steam, it's not like an official port from from the studio that made it. Mm -hmm. It's a port made – I think it's a port that that, uh, a different studio picked up that has basically been ported by the fans. Mm -hmm. So that's why I was trying to get it to work for you. So it's not like even like I was made by like the original studio. Yeah, yeah. That's why it was so hard to get it to work. But that is the point being that it's it's difficult to try and go back, especially with games that you missed and you want to go back and play. Like there's tons of games I missed growing up that I didn't play that I I wish I would have played or I'll even go back and play. I've played plenty of classic games going back to them. 
And like, but it, it just is aggravating when it's so frustrating to be able to play them and play them in a method that you'd want to and even stream them. You know, like I, I would like to try and do that. Konami is the same thing. When I played original Metal Gear, it's no streaming. I, I can't stream off my Xbox with it. They got a thing blocking it. Mm, thanks, Konami. Piece yep. of shit. Fucking Konami, right? Yep. And like I said, it's- you know what I worry is that as much as I enjoy seeing these remakes done, like, look, RE2 Remake is probably one of the best remakes ever ever made. It's up there of, like, RE2. Still, though, I would even say it's not the same as going back to play original RE2. Because original RE2 is, is actually a slightly different story and experience. Like yeah, there's the, you don't have the whole Mr. X thing in the same way like they did in that RE2 remake. Mm-mm. So like mm-hmm. there's there's things to to get and enjoy from going and playing classic games that you just can't in the these original releases. And like to say like oh there's a remake so it's fine. It's not. Like do you still get the experience of different game? I mean how RE2 was done uh, tank controls and all that stuff. It's a different experience completely. Yeah. So. Okay. I just learned something here that I did not know. Apparently, the PS. I mean, this makes sense now why they decided to do backwards compatibility with the PS5. And it's because they use part. They, it's based in part of the same architecture as the PS4, meaning that they run kind of similar code and shit. Mm. So. That's I think that's why they decided to leverage the backwards compatibility with the PS5 to try and give people like, oh, hey, look, buy a PS5. We might not have like a lot of great games right now, but you can play all your great PS4 games. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think that was the excuse that they gave with the PS3 and the PS4s. They were saying that the PS3's architecture was just so different from the PS4 that it would have been very hard to emulate it on the PS4 in order to be able to play PS3 games. But I don't know. Like, it just sounds like... I don't know, it kind of sounds like a weak excuse to me. Like, if they really wanted to try to carry over backwards compatibility with it, I think they probably could have come up with a way. Like, they could have put all their fucking games on, like, the PlayStation Store or some shit, right? Yeah. They could have come out with them. I don't know. It's like I said, I think it's just hubris on Sony's part, where it's like, they don't see a market in these games, even though there's obviously a market here. Hell, the guy that we were just talking about earlier... Um, that got sued by Nintendo. The reason he got sued by Nintendo was he was offering um, Switch ROMs, like we were saying, but he was making $30,000 a year off of it from his site, from premium memberships on his fucking website and shit. Mm-hmm. So he was obviously fucking... And it, was his, it was his sole income, right? He was making thirty grand a year off of it just fucking getting premium memberships off of his website. So I know that a company like fucking Sony could end up turning a much better profit with these types of things working out licensing deals and freaking and you know different sales and shit but especially with the amount of reach that they can get with these games because i'm sure they could reach way farther than this one rom site did and this guy is making 30 grand a year off of it yeah for sure i don't know man um do you think for you I think certain games this this is true, but I don't think all. Um, 
do are classic games playable because of nostalgia or or are they actually still good i uh, i think it depends on what you're talking about right um if you go back and you look at some of the game design and all the games i think you could see how the industry's grown and they've learned well we shouldn't do that but we should do this there's definitely some of that you can see right but then there are some things in games that you can only find in older games that um that I think hold up really well, right? Like, uh, what's a good example? I'm trying to think of like a really good example. Um, I guess going back to like you said, Resident Evil two and three, they're like different games than the remakes. So if you want to get like the experience of three, right? Being such a horror game, whereas three remake, I think you said it's much more of an action game, right? Than the original three was. Kind of, but I mean, like even the original three still had the dodge mechanics and stuff like that. It was, it still had the the tank control type, so I guess it was still that horror-ish experience. But you still had a little more to it to make it a little more actiony as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what I was saying. I think there's a different experience. The a lot of these retro games are like a different experience from maybe newer games that I think if you want to go back and you want to play them, because they're like taking a slice out of the past, right? You get an experience like a piece of the past. And like for us, that past is nostalgic, right? And that's definitely a part of it. But for somebody who's never, you know, like one of your kids, like you, they wanted to play one of these games and get the experience of a piece of the past, because these games are definitely snapshots of that time, right? True, and I think, but, but I do wonder, like, for instance, these tank control games, I, I don't know how much they can hold up to a younger generation that's never had to experience it as opposed to like somebody like me. Like I never played RE3 until like two years ago. So very sorry, recent. Excuse me one moment. Sure, sure, sure. We'll hold, we'll pause. All right. All right. <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, but no, I think the point I was making, if I remember right, was the fact that how I can, I recently played RE3 and I could go back to it and play because I have played tank control games. I have experienced those things and I'm okay with it. There are some people who are even grew up playing it and can't go back to playing tank control games. They don't feel like they can. And right. the younger generation too might have more of an issue with that. But like something right. like Mario, for instance, still stands the test of time. It's still a fun, playable game. It's just the visuals are not as good as what they are today, but the gameplay and stuff is. And also, for that matter, too, like even things like Castlevania and stuff, to me, that still holds up. It, it feels more like, um, like I was just talking about with Blasphemous, where like a lot of indie games are actually like new versions of like classic games because it's cheaper mm-hmm. and easier to, for them to make uh, and to put out. And oh yeah, they embrace a lot of the the old school kind of game design, right? Yeah, because back then goes those teams, what I was saying. those teams back then were like five people, ten people. Like they were very small teams making these games back then in the nineties and two thousands. You know, oh, yeah. now they've ballooned up because there's so much advanced code that they're writing in to make these games do some fantastic, you know, amazing things. But it's a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of coding, and you hear about crunch and yeah. all the horror Actually, stories of that. I remember hearing on Gaming Historian one point, um, he was doing like, he did like a little mini documentary on Shigeru Miyamoto, and he was talking about when he first started at uh, Nintendo and they were making um, the original Mario Brothers, the uh, Super Mario Brothers, how big the uh, 
uh, Nintendo R&D One, which is the the their team that made the original Mario Brothers. I think they said it was like maybe ten people or something like that. I forget. It was not a very yeah. big team. Yeah, yeah no, it was, it was very not small. a very big team. Yeah, no, they effectively split. They had like I think three different teams, and they were all like about like five to ten people in each or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, when I was reading the book about like Nintendo and how they started and the way they did things, like a lot of times they would yeah. actually have these three different R and D teams that would make concepts, ideas, and stuff, and they would almost be like fighting each other for um, uh, the head of Nintendo at the time. Shit, his name escapes me right now. Um, uh, Yamauchi. Yamauchi. Yeah. yeah, they would be like fighting for his attention, like almost like his affection type thing. You know, like look at what I've created, and he would, you know, all oh, this shit, and they would like, you know, take it pretty hard and have to go back to the drawing board. So um, there was a bit of that kind of struggle with Nintendo in that time period, and you're right, like smaller teams working on these titles. Oh yeah, because when they made the the for the NES, when they made, and we're getting a little bit off topic, but when they made the original Mario Brothers, and like Metroid and Zelda, and like all the black spot black box games, you know, games that launched with the uh, the NES, they used that engine uh, to make a few different games. Like everybody knows that the um, the same engine that was used to make um, Super Mario Brothers, I think, is the same one that they used to make. Uh, Metroid, I think it is, and then like uh, Zelda, like a, the original Zelda, they made another game with it called Takeshi's Castle, which never got ported over here to the states. But yeah, they used to use the same engine for like a couple of different games because, like you said, the teams were so small, and when they made an engine like that, they had to make the most out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So um, that's kind of been the reason why the indie scene has been able to blow up in that sense is because they're. A lot of those methods of making games are like tried, tested, and the best methods are out there and known so that, you know, newcomers and stuff can easily grab hold and make games like that. And there's a whole market for that. The indie scene really blew up with the, I think Xbox 360 gets kind of the um, the look at that because they came out with the Xbox Arcade. And that yeah. was one of the first places where indie studios were able to kind of thrive and put out new shit. Then with PlayStation 3, I think PlayStation opened it up for them to put out games like that as well. And you just seen the indie thing explode. And now, like, the Switch has kind of been the darling home for indies to show up on. Well, the Wii, the Wii U was actually a very good island. As much as it didn't sell, it was actually, Nintendo has always been very helpful and, like, very open to indie developers. And putting, like, if you look on the, on the Wii U, they actually have a lot of indie games on there. And I think there's even some on the Wii too, like the like the Wii, mm. like as many as like the Wii can run, even though it's not really a powerful console. Yeah. Like if you go, if you when you go back on the, when you would go on the the eShop back then, like you would find some indie games, you could find them on there. But it wasn't until like the Wii U where they really started picking up their indie game. Yeah. But now the Switch is like, yeah, it's like almost like the king of indie games. I feel like the only I feel like the only better platform for indie games is Steam right now. Yeah, Steam. Steam is where you can find a lot of the weird shit, though. Like, you can find your porno games and all the other kind of crazy shit in Steam. Anything is on Steam, basically, um, from my understanding. <clears throat> but uh, you're right. I think Steam and the Switch are kind of like the kings of where indies are living at. Because PC typically is the easiest place to get your games out of because you're building it on PC. Making, yes. like like, console ports and stuff can be a little more difficult. And then I think... Uh, well, I think all of them, if you're putting it on the marketplace, you got to give everybody a cut. But I think PlayStation 
and maybe Xbox take a little more of a cut than like certain other avenues that you can put it out on, but I'm I'm not sure about that. I, I mean, I could be completely yes. wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the the PSN from a little bit I know about the process of beginning a game on the PSN from following uh, the Paragon remakes is that before you can even put a game on the PSN, your company has to be incorporated. Like mm-hmm. you have to have like an actual like trademark like incorporated company. And that's like the first hurdle. And then like the second one is that you've got to have like um like I forget what it is, but you got to pay like a bunch of fees and like the mm-hmm. agreements and shit. And then to be like like it's it's not easy. It's not easy to get a game on the on the PSN from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a debate. Uh, but that's a different topic, I think. But there's a yeah. debate on yeah, whether or not. Yeah, we're getting the off topic. A bit, but I would like to bring up. Maybe we could discuss this at a different point in another podcast. That I think there's a debate to discuss. Like, is that that might actually be a good thing because sometimes you can get inundated with just trash basically not to hurt or talk down to any indie developers who are just trying to make something but at the same time when you have so much that just gets uploaded like youtube for instance and there's so many videos out there that like it can be cumbersome to find the diamonds you know so yeah. some gatekeeping would be a, i think that actually would be a good bit because uh, like you said steam is pretty open to things that are on there but steam also does a really great job at like regulating what uh like the good shit to like mm-hmm. help you find like the good shit and like if you want to go fucking dumpster diving you can but like if normally you're not going to see anything like that mm-hmm. and then like the mechanic like i'd be interested in looking like behind the mechanics of like how steam does that yeah that might be something that it'd take a little more research but it'd be something to dive into another one but the point of bringing this up with the indie thing i think it's built a lot on nostalgia and, and classic gaming so like the, the the love and the desire and the people that want to do that i don't think you'd have that that indie scene as strong if people weren't still interested in classic games like something like blasphemous comes out and that's that clearly feels like a castlevania more so than dark right. souls yes there's oh, elements yeah, of dark souls in it, but it. but it is it feels much more in akin to like uh symphony of the night then because the game mechanics are nothing at all like dark souls they're just thematic elements of the game that feel like dark souls you know save features right. and stuff like that the actual gameplay is much more castlevania and that's much more classic game playstation one era you know so um i don't know man um classic gaming to me still holds up for me personally i enjoy going back and playing some of these older games um, I think there's definitely more replay value out of them because a lot of times too, they're exactly what I like out of the games: shorter, confined experiences. Yeah, I like that's the, what we. I think that's what we grew. Like you said, it goes back into like that's what we grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're used to that. A lot of these bigger games that, uh, uh like newer gamers might find them the feel short. But mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe not. Like the there's something about like you said these shorter, contained experiences. that really is like appealing i think Mm -hmm. so far i have beaten this year about like 15 games from like beginning to end and a lot of them have been like resident evil titles stuff that you can beat in a week or two you know yeah stuff like that that is very short confined hell i beat re8 about twice I think I'm right. Oh, yeah. I'm, uh, I just beat Heisenberg again. 
uh, I'm in the Chris playthrough right now on uh, my second playthrough of uh, RE8. You know, beat that twice. I beat a few different RE titles. I think Code Veronica I beat this year. Number of things. So um, I like to be able to play games where I have a beginning and an end. Blasphemous, I'm about done that right now. Um, I I don't mind sometimes dabbling in the RPG 40, 60 hour gameplay thing. I'll do it. Uh, but I, I do enjoy being able to get into a game and in finishing the game and doing it within a, a decent time. And I'm not upset about a shorter game. And a lot of times you find that out of your classic games. Um, some I think in the late 2000s to the teens, there was an idea of like this game has to be like 60 hours. Like when Witcher 3 came out, I remember reading about the development of that. I think Jason Schreier's book, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. And um, they had this, like, idea in their heads that, like, eh, it has to be 100 hours. And I'm like, why? And look, Witcher 3 is a fantastic game from what I've heard. I've only played a little bit of it. The 100 hours is kind of, like, daunting for me at the moment. But I do plan to actually give that a go at some point. But it's a big game. It's going to take a yeah, while a- to get through. There's a lot of shit with it. For yeah. me... I, I I like the feeling of completion. And oh no, I get you. I totally yeah. get you. Like uh like it's not often that I get into a game and I spend like um hundreds of hours or whatever into it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's gotta have something like really special about it that I really love to wanna like mm-hmm. keep me going back into that world. Like Dark Souls. Like I don't know how many times I played through freaking Dark Souls three and then uh, really one of the things that really gave it longevity for me was the PvP scene. Being able to make different builds and like go out and actually like PvP against like other players and shit. Mm-hmm. You know? And then there are games like um Fallout Four, which I spent a good bit of time playing Fallout Four, but the thing that kept that alive for me was not just the different ways that, different endings and shit and the different ways you can play the game, because there is a lot of different branching paths and shit you can take but mods right there's a huge modding scene for the game and the same thing for witcher 3 cg project red has always been very supportive of mods right and so and as far as i know of there's like a ton of mods for richard 3 as well mm-hmm. so i think that's another thing that keeps the game really alive and yeah going. yeah i could see that i could see that for sure um that was one of the things that i think um the creators of doom they were big on that people modding the shit out of their game and doing that and they've wanted to be open for people to be able to kind of fuck with and have fun with that was one of the things that they like kind of built the game on and and being open about that way back then and and i think that's they were right on that and especially now i don't think they had the foresight exactly to be maybe they did but to see it like what it is now because now with the internet and being able to share things like that i mean those mods get created. Like, dude, I can't tell you how many, like, um, videos are popping off of, like, modded playthroughs of RE8 where, like, you have a fly swatter and you're smacking Dimitrescu on the ass or you see her in her yeah. lingerie or, you know, um, RE2 had the thing where Mr. X was Thomas the Train. That one went around. Yeah. Um, the uh, the vampire or, like, the little, like, ghoul buddies down in the prison somebody modded them to be barney that video went around for a while you know like that shit gets around and and it gets people excited it builds i think it's great marketing for the game it gets people into wanting to play this game seeing people have fun with it in that way 
but it, you know that that is a little spin-off topic on what we were saying but again like that's i think and i think we've kind of done with this segment we'll probably come to a close but um I do think PC is a great place, especially for classic games. And one of the things that I think just topping off of what we brought up about mods is like modding games and doing things like that do help with bringing more longevity to these games, even like classic games and even newer games where there's like different experiences you can have, whether it'd be silly fun, like shooting Barney with a Magnum or, you know, Something else a little more entirely where you just get to, like, play something different or in a different way entirely, you know. So, um, but I, I, I do want to say, though, that I, for me, I know, and I'd say for you as well, you know, I think we're both definitely people who still stand with playing these classic games. Like, I do enjoy my new AAA experience, but I also like to go back and play some old games that I used to play or even games that I didn't play and I missed, I would oh, yeah. like, and I wish there were easier ways to do that. And yeah. if anything, a reason for this podcast to come out, and if anybody happens to hear this, or well, probably not, but more or less the other people out there that I think are saying some of the similar things, like I hope that some of these companies, like even if you got to put a price tag on it, if it just makes it easier for me to get, I will, I'd pay it, you know, like. I mean, honestly, if you want to do your own streaming service, that's it. Step me up a streaming service where I can download classic titles. I'll pay five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, whatever it is. That's basically what Nintendo's doing. Like yeah. they included it with their their online thing. The, uh, the year, yeah, for the year. Um, See, but but Sony's trying you- to do that. They do that with the PlayStation now, but it's like, but I still have to, sh- I have to stream. You're not letting me. I can down, but it's weird. I can download the PS4 titles, but anything PS3, PS2, or PS1, I got to stream it. Yeah, I think they're still going with that thing. But the PS3's architecture is too unique, right? But I feel like this is the same thing. Like if. They really wanted to rework some of these games to be able to make them playable on like new consoles. I think they could. I really think they could. I don't know how much. Like, I'm not gonna say it would be like uh, an easy effort because you're talking about basically reprogramming the game. But I do think that some games that it would be worth it, right? But yeah. then the with things like PS One and like PS Two, like those are easily streamable. Like those are easily streamable and emulatable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't see why why they would have any problem with like those titles. Yeah, I don't know, man. So uh, I hope they get it figured out. I mean, they seem to be doing re-releases. I was just looking. PlayStation Network has uh, the whole Ninja Gaiden Master Collection is uh, out for pre-order right now, and that one's yeah. coming out in fact in a couple of days. Uh, June 9th, I believe, is the release date I'm looking at right here. So, um, right. I mean, if they're gonna release more stuff like that, okay. I guess I won't I mean, be it's too. Fine, it's fine doing like these HD collections and like yeah, and remasters and stuff. If they include like some extra things and like they up the graphics and shit, like okay, fine. Like, yeah. but don't make it a fucking exorbitant price unless you've got. Well, there's the other bad thing where you have the Silent yeah. Hill debacle where they went yeah. and did the remake of it and like redid voices and shit and completely destroyed the experience. People hate the Silent Hill remakes compared to the mm. original Silent Hill. I yeah. think it's two and yes. three. 
It was two and three that they uh, remade. And um, people were not happy. No. Was it one and two? No, nah, it might be one and two. I don't remember. I think it's two I'm and thinking, three. I'm thinking you're right. It's two and three because those are the two most popular games. One is kind of a midland game from what I've heard. And yeah. I've played a little bit of one and it did feel kind of boring. Mm. People say that the series really picks up with two. Yeah, two and three. is still held as probably the best Silent Hill ever made. Um, yeah. That one. So, and that one's available for. Uh, I could buy it on Xbox. Can't get it on PlayStation. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, well, we're done here. We'll sign off. Um, you can check me on Twitch at Sammy Savage eighty eight. And uh, where can they find you, Kev? Yeah, you guys can find me at uh, at Sir Kalo on Twitter and uh, twitch.tv slash Sir Kalo. Uh, you can look forward to me doing some uh, Zelda randomizer. Probably a link to the past uh, practice and stuff uh, until I figure out what the next thing I want to do is. But yeah, you can right. check me out over there. Cool, cool, cool. We are out of here. Later.